Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the podcast um, and welcome to episode number three. Wow. Um, I'm delighted today to bring you a conversation that I had with a lady called Susanna Davda. Um, Susanna's known as the shoe consultant. We had a really good chat, actually. We talked a lot about her background growing up. We talked about a business today um, and what she's trying to do with that business. She, she basically went from creating product to inspiring creatives to kind of develop footwear brands and take them to market. It. There's a really interesting point actually that we uh, discuss about sustainability in the footwear trade and Susanna's got some really really interesting views about what brands need to do to communicate that back to the consumer so yeah um, I hope you enjoy the show uh, get the coffee on or a nice cuppa and uh, I will catch you on the other side of the conversation. Hi Susanna how are you? I'm good, thanks, Warren. How are good. you? I'm all right. Have you had a good week? Has it been all right? Yes, it's been really good. Thank you. Good. It's been nice and busy. So cool. Um, I just wanted to have a quick chat with you because I've been trying to get hold of you actually for quite some time now. I know you're a busy girl, um, but you've got an amazing insight to the footwear industry. And I must admit, it's not a sector I've done a lot of work in so I'm as interested hopefully as our listeners will be with this podcast because um, you're going to hopefully share some some of the little secrets about not only developing a range and getting into the industry but how to take that to market which it would be amazing if you would share that with us so of course I'd wonderful. love to excellent so can you just tell us Susanna what you're up to at the moment what are you doing at the moment so I have been helping people to start shoe brands and to grow their existing small shoe businesses for the past five years. So I'm continuing to do that one-to-one -one yeah. with my one-to-one -one consultancy packages. But also very recently, I launched a new course, which is all about how to start a shoe brand. It's an online course. Yeah. And I'm really excited about that. Awesome. OK. And, and again, we can talk about that in a little bit more depth. But is that just for UK people or is it opened up to the world or? It's global. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I work with clients all around the world anyway. So I'm yeah, I never get very specific about um, regionality, <laughs> although if you get me talking about how customers differ in terms of their tastes and yeah. practical needs with footwear we could be here a long time okay. <laughs> all right okay I'll, I'll get i'll stand by the pause button just in case so all, good. <laughs> all right so brilliant well that's great and let's say we can we can dive a little deeper into that because i think it will be a fascinating listen um but what i want to try and do can you just give us a little bit of an overview of you susanna as a little girl because the reason i ask this question of my guests is i'm a great believer that growing up you know there's lots of influences that come to us and i think it's there's a there's kind of a turning point and I, for everybody it's different when they think do you know what i'm going to give this a go and i'm going to have a go at, at doing what i love doing and i want to try and get that understanding from you so what was it like for you as a 10 year old girl mm -hmm. 10 eh <laughs> just a few years ago um, <laughs> so when I was 10 I think when when you're 10 you think you're a grown-up and I dearly wanted as much independence as possible I think if I could have gone to boarding school or kind of moved out I probably would have done I, <laughs> I always had quite an independent streak and at that age I was wearing a lot of hand-me-down clothes 
I'm the youngest of four. Okay. So <laughs> I had hand-me-downs from my brothers and also <laughs> from my sister. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, my brother's jeans and T-shirts were quite good. Um, I think my mum made uh, some clothes for us as well. Um, e- even some of that I would get jumpers that she'd knitted for my brothers <laughs> that they'd grown out of yeah. or something where my sister had chosen the fabric and I didn't necessarily love her taste but I'd have to wear it anyway yeah. um, <laughs> her taste has improved um, <laughs> but yeah so I didn't really have a great deal of choice about what I wore I think if I had had my way particularly at that age I was very active and just wanted to climb trees and be on you know climbing frames and things so frankly I just wanted to wear jeans and t-shirts at that point Uh, I wasn't really that into the girly girly stuff right okay okay and were you into shopping I mean did you go out with your mum and your dad and did you did you enjoy that or not (laughs) we we didn't do that (laughs) well there wasn't there wasn't really any money to go shopping the, the way that people sort of do now because there weren't the the Primarks or, you know, the really affordable shops. Yeah, yeah that's true, yeah. So, yeah, no, we, we weren't really that kind of family. Although, honestly, I read quite a lot of American books when I was that age. <laughs> um, Judy Bloom, and you, you probably didn't, but um, <laughs> other people will get that, okay. that reference. And, um, yeah, I kind of dreamt of, of having the kind of mother who was kind of really into shopping and would take me shopping. <laughs> no. Honestly, that's still a kind of unfulfilled <laughs> fantasy for me. <laughs> But um, yeah, no. So so we didn't really. You just sort of got what you were given, and yeah. you had to wear it, or you, you know, that was it. So how old um, were you when you when you when you thought, you know what, I want to try and I want to try and get into the industry? Or oh, I mean, was that an early thought? Did you go to college? Did you did you what happened after school? So after school, I went to sixth form college. Yeah, and I sort of, to be honest, it, some people grow up, and they are. Um, taught that they need to be um, you know academic or or, um, you know for example I think particularly immigrant families and I know this because my husband is is the same he was given very few options of you know you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist and um, there weren't many other options in my household (laughs) my parents met um, studying music at the Guildhall School of Music. And so we were kind of bred to be, uh, I suppose, musical theatre stars, I would say. Um, (laughs) So when I chose my options for sixth form, I didn't yet realise that I didn't really have any talent in that area. I studied a BTEC in performing arts and I tagged on to that an A-level in English literature. (laughs) Wow, <laughs> quite okay. different from what yeah. I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but while I was at Sixth Form College, I started working in a shoe shop, and I was making clothes for myself. I was making some costumes for some of the performances that that we did uh, in my performing arts BTEC, and I just got really into kind of fashion design, and then was just thinking more and more about shoes because of the weekend job that I had yeah and so that was when I figured out I had to try (laughs) try and swivel what I was doing and and get even more involved in the costumes Mm. so that I could get on to the foundation art year which is Yeah. yeah what a lot of universities want if you're going to study something like a a creative degree mm. uh, for instance fashion design or footwear design which was something that I found um, was an available option for for a degree was footwear design so yeah w- when I discovered that then I became very focused and then everything I did even on my foundation art I was <laughs> I actually uh welded a shoe I, I, <laughs> I yeah I made a shoe out of um 
wire yeah bits of wire okay. and metal it was this kind of giant court shoe so so everything then became focused on how do I get onto this degree that I really want to get onto yeah that's <laughs> amazing I mean again I suppose you know everyone kind of aspire if you're going to be going down that route and it's interesting you talk about the performance arts because lots of people I know in the industry I talk to them and they go oh my god I used to be a dancer or I was a mm. I don't know a busker or and I don't know whether there's a correlation there between the performance and the creative, obviously it's creativity, but whether or not, you know, you can take that performance and put it into a commercial mindset. I don't know. Maybe that's another podcast further down the line. But there <laughs> we go. Okay. So you welded your shoes, which sounds mm-hmm. intriguing. I don't suppose you've got a picture of those, have you? That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, there probably is one somewhere, I think. Oh, if you've got one, please send it to me and I'll put it on the show notes. That would be amazing. So, <laughs> and what then you obviously took the leap of faith into the commercial side of things. So, how did you make that transition from education into the industry as such? So when I was studying for my degree in footwear design, uh, I got some work experience between my second and third years. And it was in a buying office of a um, shoe retailer, big Mm. shoe retailer at the time in the UK. And yeah, so it kind of opened my eyes to the world of buying. And buying for a shoe retailer is part creative uh, but it's part um yeah business really yeah. so uh, you have to be quite good with the numbers and the spreadsheets and um analysis for mm. sure analysis of sales the um anyone who's worked in um retail head office will know that at the monday morning meeting <laughs> is the sales analysis of the weekend yeah. you know what worked what didn't and yeah so so buying was something that really i thought i thought i could be quite good at because i realized that i didn't just have this sort of um amazing creative designer mind in fact i didn't have that mind and i was thinking you know how much would this sell for yeah, uh, who would buy it? Um, yeah, what what could it be made from that it would be affordable to the target customer? <laughs> yeah, know, and these these are things that designers need to think about commercial designers, but also you know I think it meant that I just wasn't this very very creative designer, but I could add value in the the more commercial business side of things yeah yes good good really good point actually and again to see it from the other side as well I suppose that that's invaluable that 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 experience to see it again from a commercial side as opposed to just the creative getting that balance is is really Mm. important you know that's that's really cool definitely yeah so when I graduated I managed to get a job and it was a bit of a combination of design but I wouldn't call it pure design so um, you know, maybe taking the trim from one shoe and putting it onto a, another shoe or um, maybe adapting something that we were inspired by from a designer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting onto, way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, onto, onto a best-selling kit or, yeah. or that sort of thing. Um, but so the job was part that and part trainee buyer. Okay. So, so that was really good because I got to um, understand really about range planning, about you know working with merchandisers, and really the the planning side of things, as as well as yeah the commerciality of the product, mm. and yeah. So, so that was my job when I graduated. It was a funny mix, and it didn't make me an expert in either thing, uh, but it gave me a really good experience cool that's really good and when you were buying them what was it what was it in the in the in the products that you were buying that you thought actually this is a really good brand you know for what were the values that you saw in those products we were um mostly making own brand in fact uh, yeah there there was a buyer who was buying brands um, but we were sort of creating own brand products but you know, they were from uh, factories or suppliers who had sample collections. And so we were selecting for those. And it was all about, you know, making the right products for the retailer's customer. You know, mm. it, it was what is this person going to love? 
last season and of course it was partly about trends and things uh, but also it was looking backwards and thinking what did they buy before what is the evolution of this product and at the, and at the time there was a great emphasis on quality a lot of the products were still being sourced from Spain and Italy and this is for a high street retailer in the UK yeah. and you know things like had to be made from leather had to have a leather lining even if it was pigskin so yeah those were really important elements and I was figuring out you know what makes a comfortable shoe at the time which is Mm. something that I've developed as kind of one of my one of my special areas of knowledge comfortable high heels oh wow okay that sounds good not for me but (laughs) (laughs) it does sound great that's really cool. You know what? I was um, I was reading an article the other day. That I just wanted to have a quick, quick chat with you. And it was about an Australian lady. And she, she ironically worked in a shoe shop. And um, she's 38, I think, from memory. And she, she's created a footwear brand. And the headline was that this, this young lady had created this footwear brand in under a year and was generating mm-hmm. a turnover of 1.4 million um, Australian dollars. Um, now, that kind of resonated with me. Obviously, I knew we were having this call, but is it that easy? I mean, <laughs> it's an open-ended <laughs> question, but, you know, going back to your course a little bit, and, and again, I want to try and get an understanding of the fundamentals, because hopefully there's quite a few people listening to this podcast that, that even want to get into the footwear industry, or the disciplines are very similar across whichever category, whether it's jewellery, whether it's clothing you know whether Mm. it's accessories or whatever it is and I just think it's it'd be a really good time now to kind of break down a little bit don't give too much away because obviously Mm. you've got lots of secrets but um just an overview Susanna would be really really brilliant for our listeners yeah of course so yeah you know that that sort of story doesn't happen very often for sure um but there are ways that you can make sure your brand has the best chance of success Mm. and so yeah so so the course the how to start a shoe brand course gives you a method to work to with a ton of context so video interviews with a load of different experts including shoe brand founders um a shoe retail buyer um shoe photographer Mm. lots and lots of different people you know people experts on fit and sustainability yeah which for each step of the course are really really relevant so the course is in an order that is the order i recommend that i have been helping startups uh, for the past five years um in that order in that chronological order Mm. that you put in all the groundwork um actually even before you design anything so that you truly understand the context that your product is entering into but more importantly who's going to buy it and is it actually the solution to their problem that you think it's going to be so putting all of that into place making sure that actually you're building an audience before you've even got a product so that's going to be the best Mm. chance of success so all of those steps so in the course the assignments which you'll get for each module are Mm. they're not just homework they are things that you would be doing that I would recommend that any shoe brand startup does at that particular stage which is the next thing which will move you forward and Mm. yeah so so none of it is you know (laughs) write an essay about (laughs) it's more things like um you know i provide uh, templates and you know things like a range plan format or pricing Mm. formats that you can figure out your pricing on or there's a part where you you develop your purpose you think about your values or you think about the support that you're going to need within your business all of Mm. those things that if you think through them and work through them at that early stage you've got such a strong foundation to build your brand on and give it the best chance of commercial success yeah, I think it's, it's I mean, it's a great idea. And the concept is great because, 
it's the same as anything you know even if you're opening a shop or whatever you're doing from a from a business point of view invariably there's not a handbook you know you don't you don't you don't get one on parenting for instance <laughs> you know you just you don't unfortunately nope. and um you know that's it's difficult because you you have to try and work it mm-hmm. all out and part of the problem with trying to work it all out is it's not only time but it's cost now you know if if someone went down the route and, and maybe the course isn't right for for them or for whatever reason but what kind of cost would be involved in taking a product from a design and obviously if you build a relationship with the factory because again that's that's a science into itself yeah. but what would be the cost approximately I know it's difficult mm-hmm. to say but what would be the cost involved there with sampling and things like that so in order to start a shoe brand so to get you to that point from scratch to having you know very small order quantities which is what I would advise for your first collection which I I would call a test collection because that's what it is you're going to make mistakes in your first launch collection and so you need to Mm. make as few of those as possible um as few products as possible so that you're not making expensive mistakes you're making affordable mistakes so minimum ten thousand pounds fifteen thousand us dollars um more realistically something like 15 to 20 thousand pounds 20 to 25 thousand us dollars is what you're going to need to get to that point and now that's not just Mm. thinking about sampling it's also thinking about paying a freelance designer um traveling to the factory um and your accommodation also things like your website your photography um storage so many uh, things and they're all detailed in the course um as Mm. well as in the course i help people to find um to know how to find manufacturers and how to approach manufacturers and to decide whether to use an agent or go directly to the manufacturer okay like a sourcing agent as such yeah yeah? exactly exactly because yeah yeah, sourcing agents um can be really helpful um but also there's the option to go direct to some manufacturers um they'll have that option okay and, and again, just for the benefit of the listeners there, a sourcing agent, if I'm mm-hmm. right, uh, is somebody that will liaise between you as the client, obviously with the production of the of, of the product and also the factory um, suppliers. So they've got the relationship with both sides there and they kind of smooth the wheels, make sure that everything's on track, deliveries and proto samples and swatches, everything that's related to production. Exactly. So, um, that's cool. OK. And um What's just talking about production, actually, what's your thoughts on UK production? So in the shoe industry, it's, it's interesting because we still have some uh, footwear production here in the UK, particularly on the men's welted side, very traditional, um, amazingly beautifully made um, shoes kind of centering around Northampton. There are also um, cemented factories and stitch down factories. Sorry, just talking footwear constructions here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a very few women's factories. So I would say for a startup, if you're looking to make women's shoes, unless they are welted, then you're probably best not looking in the UK. And I wish I didn't have to say that. Um, yeah. I wish there were more options here and I hope that there will be. I hope we can revive the women's shoe industry in the UK. Um, mm. But for the moment, we have to look elsewhere. Uh, on the men's side, there are some options, but it depends on the price point that you're targeting and also the construction that you want to make. Yeah. And what's a welted shoe? Just explain that to the, to the listeners. Yeah, yeah, a welted shoe is really where the upper is stitched to the sole in a particular way that makes it very strong. And it also means that the sole is completely replaceable. So if you're thinking about a, you know, the most sustainable type of shoe, it's not always about, you know, amazing new materials. Sometimes it's just Mm. making a really, really strong shoe that you can keep going for a really long time because you can replace the soles really easily, the soles and the heels. So, yeah, Yeah. so welted shoes are still a very, very good thing, I would say. 
Yeah, that's good. And I'll, I do want to touch on that sustainability point a bit later on because there's lots happening in the market and in the industry. And um, I'd really like to get your, your overview of that. So um, imagine a designer has come through. Uh, do you have to, is it slightly challenging sometimes with ego, would you say, with people trying to be the next big thing? Um, how important do you think that person is? Uh, with regards to the brand, I look at, I'm not that he's egotistic, yeah. but I look at people like Christian Louboutin, you know, and the way that he's not only created a very, very signature product, but he's also very, very high profile with regards to the brand and how it's perceived and the network and the celebrities and everything else that goes with it. How do you think the two need to kind of work together or do they not need to work together? My experience of working with startups is that there have, hasn't been enough ego in a way. I, I have to persuade people to be a bit more visible um, with their brand, okay. you know, to show their face on Instagram, um, to record some videos and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, but I do think that the human face of the brand is really, really important, which is why I try and encourage people to, to do that, to be visible. And people think that, oh, it's okay, it's just a brand. You know, people will just think of it mm. as a brand. But people buy from small brands because they want to feel that connection with the person they're buying from. Because, you know, they people are a bit fed up of the sort of corporate speak and the the marketing yeah. that feels a bit cold. They, they yeah. want to feel like they're, yeah, they're, they are helping an individual um as well as, of course, you know, getting an amazing pair of shoes. But but mm. also it's just that um, that emotional connection is really important. So a bit more ego, please, startups. <laughs> that's brilliant. That is so good to hear. It really is because, again, that's one of the reasons I put this podcast together because I think the industry, to some extent, has been kind of homogenized you know everything kind of looks very similar and it's very instagrammable and i completely agree with you you know people who have got a talent and great product product is king and that always has to shine through but the ability to be able to put yourself out there as well and to and to really demonstrate what you're about is is, is such a valid valid point so good for you susanna that's that's perfect and i'm glad to hear you're bringing them through which is yes, great to hear absolutely so. And I just wanted to also ask about, because obviously there's, there's, uh, there's lots of brands out there at the moment that have footwear collections. And sometimes it's not necessarily those guys that are actually producing the collections. So they can be done under mm, license. Yeah. Which, which brands do you think out there um, that have made a really good job of kind of creating the, the rest of their brand products through footwear? That's a good question. And I can't think of many good examples, you know. Okay. I can think, yeah, well, I can think of, um, there are definitely brands who have historically made, particularly in the luxury sector, who have historically made, you know, quite traditional um, shoes, maybe quite dressy shoes for women, quite smart shoes for men, and who have pivoted really well into the trainer market and into the sort of fashion sneaker market I think there have been some success stories on that side and you know as as a somebody who knows footwear construction and how much certain elements of construction cost I can see the profit margins are pretty good in you know these luxury brands making their their trainers their sneakers uh, so yeah so I think that actually they've done that very they're very cleverly most luxury brands I think some were very late to the to the market for this but most mm. now have um, a trainer or a sneaker offering as well and I think that's going to be really important going forward I think yeah, yeah. that look just wanted to talk also about um sustainability because you, you touched on that a little earlier and it seems to be not just on trend it's it's becoming more of an inherent value with when people are thinking about product and developing product so what's your thoughts on brands kind of uh working on 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 different types of product from a construction point of view so sustainability, particularly in footwear, is quite complex because shoes are complex. 
they have lots of different components and those components come from lots of different suppliers so the supply chain it's quite hard to track and trace every single element that has gone into making a pair of shoes so when you're thinking about sustainability you're thinking about the product so you know all of the different components but you're thinking also about how long are they going to last can repaired can they be recycled at the end of life and also you know things like transport so of course you know transport is a big polluter so if you're mm. collecting lots of different components to send to your manufacturer and the components come from you know the other side of the world from the manufacturer that's a lot of air miles that you know that doesn't yeah. seem like it's the right thing to do in terms of sustainability and this is before we've even talked about the kinds of materials that are being used, you know, whether you're using uh, petrochemical-based materials like PU and PVC mm. for the uppers and, and for the soles. Um, so it's a big, big subject, um, and mm. there's a lot of work being done around it at the moment. Lots of different brands who are focusing more and more on sustainability. I think my, yeah, my big message on that to any company, you know, shoe or otherwise is is don't be afraid to tell your customers the whole story because yeah. i think i see particularly on the high street half the story being told so all we're told is the good stuff in terms of the sustainability and we're not seeing the full picture if we saw the full picture you'd see what a tiny tiny percentage of the full picture that you know that low environmental impact um, mm. part is whereas you know for smaller brands they are able to uh, control things a bit better and and really put in some great kind of sustainable measures but i think customers can see through you know if if you're talking about the good stuff they're thinking okay but what aren't you talking about so if mm. you actually say to them, and these are the areas that we're still working on, and if you know anyone who can help us with these, that would be amazing. You know, that that to me as a customer feels really good. It feels like you trust me with this information, you know, and that you're working towards reducing your environmental impact, which is all brands really can do because if you're putting new products mm. out there into the market you are you know you are polluting you are um you know contributing to potentially future landfill so it's mm. you know unless your products are fully decomposable in in you know five years or something then it's hard to be perfect and so i think pretending to be perfect feels a bit disingenuous yeah, I get that. I get that. It's all about communication, isn't it? And I, I, I kind of picked up on your point there about talking about kind of sharing the messaging a little bit more and following mm. it through, you know, don't just say you're going to do something, do it and also communicate that through to the end yeah. consumer. There's a, there's a charity, I don't know if you've ever come across them, uh, called Shoe Aid. Have you ever, have you yes, ever heard yeah, of those have. guys? There's a guy called Lee Todd, I mm. think, that runs it up. And, and again, in the show notes, I'll put that in because it's a really, really good char charity. And I know they do some amazing work at looking specifically at the shoe industry and trying to communicate and educate brands to to do exactly what you've just spoken about there Susanna just talk about how they're going to what the life cycle mm. looks like of that particular shoe and I think I read on their website there was um I think it was two million items or something are disposed every week in the UK which is so much product and you know okay it's the shoe industry and there's lots of of waste in everything every single sector of of our lifestyle but what kind of things are the brands are the are the brands being much more conscious? Are you finding that people are talking more about that end of life kind of what happens to product at the end or not? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, at this point, we're sort of, we are partly waiting for the recycling plants to kind of develop further mm. um, because at yeah. the moment there are issues with recycling shoes. There are these am amazing um 
uh, machines where you can you could put in a shoe and it shreds it into its um, original kind of materials and separates those out so that they can then be um, used for different things recycled um, but what it can't handle is metal and there are lots of hidden metal parts in shoes yeah. and so yeah. it it's a very manual and a, you know difficult job to get those metal parts out so you'd just basically be abandoning any high heel if you can get the high heel off you'd be taking that out but you still need to get there's um something called a shank which is a flat metal rod um which kind of sits under the arch of your foot i suppose which um gives it the structure and and support that you need and that's very hard to get out because it's embedded between the insole board and the outsole um you know mm. and fixed very strongly because you know people brands want their shoes to last for a really long time so, so yeah people yeah. are talking about end of life uh, but i think i think it should be about making the shoes last as long as possible mm. and then actually you know as long as they um they're made very well then shoes if they are looked after properly if somebody then doesn't want them anymore then they are of better value you know they can be sold on or they can be mm. of greater value to charities like shoe aid you know rather yeah. than it's, it's something that really just isn't very useful you know it's a, a welly with a hole in it's you know yeah uh, and please if anyone knows how to how to um <laughs> Uh, get rid of wellies with holes in in an environmentally sound way please do let me know <laughs> i'm collecting a stash of my little boy's wellies <laughs> oh bless okay that's cool so i mean again it's pretty apparent that you really know your stuff here Susanna. you know and it's um it is lovely to hear you and and listen to you talking about the industry with with such knowledge and such conviction you know it's great but thinking about your career to mm. date um, professionally, who have you worked with? And again, you can mention names, people, companies, brands, whatever. Mm -hmm. But who do you who really has inspired you professionally over that period? Oh, interesting. People who inspire me are the startups who just know exactly they know exactly what they want, and they're very open to guidance. So. So they have this this passion, this work ethic, um, and they are prepared to to really, really, truly listen um, to what I and other experts have to say. And that those are the ones who are the most likely to succeed. And so, so mm. honestly, it is it's always the small businesses um, who inspire me rather than, you know, some um, big famous designer it mm. because you know it's harder it's harder to do it on your own it is you know without yeah. a big head office function to support you and so anyone who does start their own business whether it's in the the shoe business or um or you know another sector apparel or you know even service-based just just mm. people who are so very true to themselves um and their personal values and they're very conscious and kind um, of what their customers truly want. Those are the people who, who inspire me. Perfect. That's a great answer. Well done for that. Okay, so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to fire some questions to you, Susanna, because I've, I've written down some questions here. Now, you can be as quick or as elaborate as you need to be. So um, you have no idea what these questions are. So let's whiz through them. So you can be as honest as you want. I really, I, you know, I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, always honest. <laughs> okay, good girl, good girl. That's a good place to start. So approximately how many pairs of shoes do you oh. own? <laughs> that one. Um, okay, <laughs> at the moment, I think it's probably about 40 pairs, which, 40? yeah, it's not many. For, okay. for someone who's been in the shoe industry for like 22 years um so yeah i get rid of them um you know i sell them on 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 ebay um yeah. when i am not wearing them anymore or or i'll wear okay. them to death but yes but i am <laughs> okay there's a bit of a turnaround let's say 
All right. And which is the best trade show for the footwear industry? And why do you think that is? That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if people are talking a bit about moving away from trade shows. And I think um, particularly coronavirus will have an impact, I think, even longer term on people's thoughts about trade shows. Um, the biggest one, um, certainly in Europe, is MECAM in Milan. Um, it's huge and it can be quite daunting and you really have to go in there with a plan. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that's it's the best one. Um, if you're looking to source some amazing footwear, then yeah, MECAM. MECAM, okay. You've already answered this question, but I'm going to spin it slightly. So my question was, have you ever worked in a shoe shop, right? But you've already said, yes, you did. So that's great. The quote, the spin on it is, do you think it's good for a brand or a designer to also work in a shoe shop <laughs> to some extent? Um, yeah, definitely. And I've worked in three, no, four, four shoe shops. Um, <laughs> yes, I think it's really important. Um, but I think when you have your own brand, you probably end up doing events and pop-up shops instead, you know, probably yeah. better to have the experience with your with your own brand. Um, because, yeah, you can work in someone else's shoe shop, but they won't be your customers exactly coming into that shop. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely face-to-face, is really important mm. but you can do that by yeah having a stall at an event or doing some pop-up shops that sort of thing cool and three words uh quick words that describe the footwear industry to you oh um <laughs> complex mm. um great people i know that's too okay that's <laughs> fine we'll let you have that <laughs> Um, and evolving. Okay, good. I love it when I put people on the spot <laughs> like that. Okay. Um, what's the ideal price point, would you say, for the UK market? It entirely depends on the customer. Um, okay. And yeah, what, what they are used to spending on a particular type of product, particular category of product. Um mm yeah yeah sure okay and do you prefer developing spring and summer products or autumn and winter products oh that's a good question um okay so in the uk uh the the sort of spring summer season is is shorter so commercially mm -hmm. a sort of um closed toe product uh, or even a kind of ankle boot um, has more value because a you can charge more for it and b someone is going to wear longer so that it is is more valuable than the spring summer season that was that was a very <laughs> that was a very commercial answer but I like it, it was good <laughs> Okay. All right. What about this? Converse as a brand or Vans as a brand? <laughs> Which do you prefer? That's really funny. <laughs> I don't think I've ever owned a pair of either. Uh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're not comfortable. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. The best country for production, would you say? Um again it depends Generally. on the type of product um italy for the finest finest luxury um but spain and portugal make some really beautiful women's shoes as well mm. i think i know the answer to this one comfortability or style both please okay Com that's good enough. entirely that's good achievable enough. both <laughs> okay okay <laughs> uh least favorite footwear trend <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so easy. Um, <laughs> you can name a name should you need to. No, Sorry. it's just a, okay. So <laughs> anything with a see-through upper that's made of plastic. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, it, because of the nature of the material, it makes your foot sweat. So you're just seeing a sweaty foot. It's like the, the oh. least, it's supposed to be sexy, but it's the least sexy thing you can do to your foot. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for painting pictures of what I said, Susanna. 
which nation would you say tend to be a little bit obsessive about the footwear? Oh, which nation? Oh. Is there any particular market that kind of just can't get enough shoes? Uh, women of the world. <laughs> okay. And, and men when it comes to trainers. Um, okay. Actually, that, that, that puts me on to my next question. Are men buying more shoes? Um, than in the past? Yeah. 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 I mean, definitely there are more trainer collectors and mm. yeah, that, that's kind of a, a more common thing. Um, so yeah, but, but I, th- I think that men's collections apart from trainers uh, tend to be, tend to mm. be pretty small, I would say still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if you could run your business from anywhere in the world, where would that be? Probably a beach <laughs> in the in the UK. Actually, I like yeah. Okay, I, I do like living in the UK. And people often probably say something like somewhere hot, but um, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't do well in hot hot, hot climates. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, what's the largest shoe size you've ever been involved in creating? <laughs> That's really fun. You see my way my mind works here, can't you? <laughs> Um, well, I have worked with uh, a women's brand called Sante and Wade, who mm. make uh, wider shoes and larger sized shoes for women. And now I'm desperately racking my brains to try and remember what size they go up to. I think <laughs> it might be about a size UK 12. Okay. Um, wow. So obviously that's not the largest size because men's sizes go up. But um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And have you ever lost one shoe from a pair of shoes that you absolutely love? No, I'm careful. Good. I'm quite a careful person <laughs> generally. And no, okay. I don't think so. I think I would have remembered that for a long time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Name a brand best known for its durability. <laughs> I think it has to be Doc Martens. Oh, I knew you were going to say well, that. Well, yeah. I did work oh. for them for a long time. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know that they just, they build fashion products, which are built like, um, you know, work boots. Mm. And and they refuse to compromise on that, um, you know, the, the construction and the strength. And I, I admire mm. them for that. Yeah, no, they're a great brand. Superb. Um, handbag with matching pair of shoes. I think I think it can work. Uh, yeah. I think there are also other ways to um, make your shoes kind of tie in with the rest of your outfit, whether it's like, you know, picking shoes based on one colour in a printed garment um, or, yeah, or even uh, matching them to your lipstick. Oh. Yeah. okay now this is just a yes or no answer okay have you ever dated a man wearing cowboy boots no um i'm happily married but you know if 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 i was single i wouldn't rule it out and i did own a pair of cowboy boots for a long time i quite like country music so good 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 okay uh what's the last shoe brand you bought Oh, <laughs> I bought myself a bit of a treat, actually, when I launched the course and I bought a pair of Mew Mew ballet pumps. Oh, wow. OK, cool. Perfect. Mm-hmm. OK. And the last question, if you were a shoe, what type of shoe would you be? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is really difficult. I probably would be a ballet pump. I am quite short. So <laughs> OK, <laughs> no, that's really good. Well done. And I know I put you on the spot a little bit there. So I appreciate your uh, your quick thinking. All's good. All's good. Well, it's been fascinating, Susanna. I think we've had a, a good old chin wag, shall we say. And, um, you know, we've we've kind of covered lots of things there from sustainability to dating men with cowboy boots to all sorts of bits and pieces. And obviously your course, which sounds incredible. Um, just one other question that I like to ask uh, my guest is why do you do what you do? Because I'm really passionate about helping people to help other people get amazing shoes. Because at at the moment, I think the shoes that are being offered, I think particularly to women, 
um, perhaps aren't as good, as well-fitting, as comfortable, as interesting as we deserve. So I'm really passionate about helping the entrepreneurs who are going to be the future of the shoe industry and make it better, make it better for customers. Yeah, amazing. Good. Fabulous. That's wonderful to hear. So, Susanna, we're going to uh, tie things up now. So just before we go, how can our, how can our listeners um, find you? How can they kind of connect? So they can find me at shoeconsultant.com and also on Instagram and Twitter at shoeconsultant. And I'm on LinkedIn, Susanna Davda. Davda. Do you want to spell that for us? <laughs> D-A-V-D-A. <laughs> perfect lovely job okay well i wish you a fantastic day and um yeah when we uh, when we can i'm sure we can we can catch up for a coffee and have another chin wag but i really do appreciate your time susanna it's been a great call and uh, yeah all the best in the future good luck with everything thanks so much for having me on no worries take care see you soon Huge thanks to Susanna there for her time. Thank you, Susanna. And thank you for listening, guys. Um, As you heard from Susanna, more ego is required, startups. Come on, if that's you and you're sat there procrastinating or you just can't make it happen, get out there and do something about it. It's what it's all about. The industry needs you. (laughs) That's for sure. So, um, and by the way, if you are interested and you do want to see Susanna's creation, she's done a bit of a job and she's dug into the archives and she's managed to find the picture of her welded creation from her foundation course. So if you want to see that, head over to the Facebook page, the Behind the Brands Facebook page, and you can see her work there. It looks really good, actually. Um, And that's it for today. I just want to give you a bit of an update on what's coming next. Um, Delighted with a phone call that I had with a gentleman called John. And John is from Parlour Eyewear. Parlour Eyewear is a sunglasses brand. And they're doing some amazing stuff. Not only creating amazing product, but they're also making a real difference to people's lives in Africa. John and the team work with Vision Aid over in Africa. And what they do is every pair of sunglasses they sell, they will use some of that money, some of the profits will go to prescriptive eyewear to people in Africa that need that support. Um, It's amazing. Honestly, it's a fantastic story, brilliant brand, great vision and great mission from John in what he's doing over there. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be episode number four. Stick around if you Uh, if you fancy listening to that because it'll be right after this one anyway i'll speak to you soon take care and all the best behind the brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com go check it out you can discover new brands meet the makers and their products before they go into stores so if you've enjoyed this podcast please don't forget to leave us a review we'd really appreciate your feedback You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So, until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.